You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you give us wisdom through your word in all circumstances of life. You teach us not only about yourself, about salvation, about holiness, but you also teach us the little details about how we should live our lives, how we should handle the things that you have given to us. And so we pray today that you would speak to us through your word about how we can use our money, which can be a spiritual thing, it can be such a misleading thing, it can be a useful tool, but it can also capture our hearts and lead us into sin. And so show us today how we might honor you with our money. Speak to us by your spirit, speak through me, through your Holy Spirit, the words that you have inspired, and by your spirit, may you help my brothers and sisters here to understand, to believe, and to obey. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a quiz. I like to have a bit of uh, back and forth participation, so these are not rhetorical questions. Who can guess what is the most popular note of currency in the whole world? The most popular bill. You could go to any person in the world and say, what money do you want? What note do you want? Someone have a guess. US, one dollar? Would they say say one dollar? US is right. U.S. 100. A U.S. 100. I believe they call it the Benjamins, right? Popular around the world. You know, you can go to any businessman, any international drug trafficker or something, or whatever it is, and they will, they will take payment in $100 notes. You give them Australian money, they'll be like, what is this plastic monopoly money? But they'll take 100 Next, could anyone guess the biggest denomination bank note ever made. So if $100 is one with two zeros, what is the biggest denomination? Hey, Zimbabwean. Come on. How many zeros are we talking? Very close. It's actually $100 trillion. The Zimbabwean $100 trillion note, that's 14 zeros after the one. Back in 2009, Zimbabwe went through this crazy period of hyperinflation, and they were printing this money that was actually worth less than the paper it was printed on. So you could take a sheet of paper, and it's worth more than if you print Zimbabwean $100 trillion on it. In fact, it was worth less than the heat you would get from burning it. So instead of paying your power bill with Zimbabwean $100 trillion, you just burn it, and you get more heat for your money. Let me show you another American note that you probably haven't seen before. Who recognizes this? Maybe if you're a bit of a history nerd. This is the $1,000 note of the Confederate States of America. Back from the time in the American Civil War when uh, 11 southern states broke away and tried to form their own country. And they were actually the first to print paper money while the United States was still minting coins. But instead of being actual money, these notes were sort of like promises that you could exchange them for gold and silver at the end of the war. But only if the South won. So you accumulate all this money, and they say, when the South wins the war, you'll be able to exchange this money for gold and silver. Well, if you know any history, or you might be able to guess from the fact that the country is now called the United States of America, not the Confederate States of America, the South didn't win the war. And so all of this money that they had became worthless pretty much overnight. 
Now, some people realized they saw the tide of the war turning, and they realized that this money would become useless pretty soon. And so they converted their money from Confederate dollars to US dollars. They saw it coming. But everyone who held on to their Confederate dollars soon found that it was worth nothing. And the question that I have for you today is, how should we as Christians view the money that we have? Because one day, the same thing will happen to us. One day, the money that we think will last forever will actually become worthless to us pretty much overnight. Whether you die or whether Jesus returns, the dollars that you have will be worth nothing. And so how do we, like these smart confederates, convert our temporary money into eternal treasure? Three points today on our treasure. Uh, Our treasure belongs to God. Our treasure leads our hearts, and our treasure is in heaven. So firstly, our treasure belongs to God. Uh, In the passage that was read for us, Jesus tells this story about a dishonest manager who's misusing his master's resources. Uh, And it's probably one of the most confusing out of all the parables. Usually they're pretty straightforward. It's like there's a guy who does good things, a guy who does bad things. Be like the guy who does good things. But... You look at this parable, and you might walk away thinking, is Jesus telling us to cheat our employers for personal gain? That's kind of what it sounds like, right? Uh, Because this is more of a a topical rather than a um, going through the Bible sermon, I won't be spending all our time in the one passage like we usually do, but to explain what's happening here, the manager realizes that his time is running out soon. He realizes he will no longer be in this management role of his master's money. And he's clearly like a a white-collar, Excel, PowerPoint kind of guy because he says, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So while he still has opportunity, he makes these deals with people who owe his master money so that they'll show him favor later on when he's unemployed. He knows his time is short, so he uses the money that he's currently managing to benefit him in the future. And even though he is dishonest, he's kind of set up as the hero of the story. And Jesus kind of says, be like this guy, kind of. Not to imitate his dishonesty, but to imitate his stewardship. And so this story is all about stewardship. It reminds us that just like this manager, we are temporary owners, temporary managers rather, of the things that God owns, and we are to use it in a wise way, in a way that benefits us even beyond our lives. And Jesus is basically saying here, if worldly people can use worldly wealth to bring themselves future benefit, like this dishonest manager. How much more should God's people use our worldly wealth to bring eternal benefit? Look at the way the worldly people use money. They're smart. They can invest it in a way that benefits them later. But shouldn't God's people invest our money in a way that benefits us later, beyond this life, into eternal good? And so it's not our money We can't take it with us, but we are managing it short term. And we're called to use it in a way that has an impact. Now, um, I don't like to speak too heavily for too long, so let me throw in a fun little movie illustration for you guys. Uh, There's a movie called Schindler's List. Who's seen it? 
All right, I'm just kidding. It's not a light story at all. This is the true story of a businessman named Oskar Schindler who, uh, during the Holocaust, saved about 1,000 people from dying. He would pay money and bribes to buy the freedom of these Jews to rescue them from the Holocaust. In the final scene of the movie, he is surrounded by all the people he saved, about 1,000 people, and they're all just giving him thanks. Thank you for saving our lives. But... As he looks around at these people, he's not thinking, yeah, I'm the man, I saved a thousand people. He's thinking about all the money he wasted that could have been used to save other people. And he, he starts sort of weeping. He, says, he looks at his car that's parked and he says, this car, why did I keep the car? That's two people right there. No, he says, that's 10 people right there if I just sold the stupid car. He looks at a pin that's on his jacket and he says, this pin... It's gold. This is two people. But I kept this stupid pin, and two people died because of that. And friends, if you look at the way you spend your money, I have to ask you, will you have these same kinds of regrets at the end of your life? Do you spend your money like a steward or an owner? And as we come to a topic like this, look, we need to be really careful because we have I'd say like a, a, a pharisaical approach to these kinds of questions. We want to be good Christians, but we sort of want to hear the right answers and just stay as close to the lines as possible. So you, you want to answer questions like, is it wrong to own a house? Is it wrong to invest in stocks? How much of my money should I give? What's the percentage amount? And it's almost like you want me to say that so you can do it, check it off and say, I honor God with my money. What next? But if you ask the question, does God want 10% of my money, for example? I'll talk about giving later, but the answer to that question is no. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He already owns all of your money. And we're just called to spend it in a way that reflects that. So we're not after simple answers that give us the opportunity to be Pharisees and check off boxes. We have freedom to enjoy the things that God has given us. We have freedom to enjoy the resources that God has given us. And so, enjoy things. Eat sushi, buy a nice suit, go on holidays. But don't make those things the focus of your entire life. Don't let them give you value. Don't let them be seen as your means to afford a certain lifestyle. But say, this, everything is from God's. I'm going to enjoy a little while I'm here because that's also a gift. But I also am responsible to use it in a way that pleases him. Jesus sums up this parable and he says, Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is their own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it's written there so plainly, but we want to be the exception, right? I can serve both God and money. I'll serve God, but give me heaps of money, and I can serve both. But if someone were to look at your bank accounts, right, how many of you would be willing to open up your banking apps right now? Let me scroll through and we'll see who your God is. Is it God or is it money? 
And we also need to be on the lookout because our greed can make us blind to our own greed. To show us kind of the relationship of how the relationship that we have with God's money. Um, there's a story in Me Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he says, when we give to God, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a child going to his father for money before his birthday and saying, Daddy, Daddy, can you give me $5 so I can buy you a birthday gift? And dad gives him money, he buys a birthday gift, and he gives it to his dad. Now, of course, the father gives the money Willingly, Of course, he receives the present with great thanks. But C.S. Lewis says, only a fool would think that the father has become any richer in this transaction. It's a story called Sixpence None the Richer. And there was a random Christian rock band that was called Sixpence None the Richer. And they hit the number one charts. It's like, what the heck is going on? It came from this story, Sixpence None the Richer. So we can't possibly outgive God. We can't give God so much that he says, oh, thank you so much. I have more money now. How ridiculous that is. We can't give him anything that he doesn't already own. But we can choose to proclaim and reflect his ownership by the way that we manage his resources. And that's all we're called to do. Not amounts, not percentages, but realize that everything we have is temporarily managed for God's sake. Secondly, our treasure leads our hearts. Our treasure leads our hearts. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about it for a second. Doesn't that sound backwards? Does that sound backwards to anyone, or at least the way that we traditionally think of it? Shouldn't it be where our heart is, there our treasure will follow? Right? Don't you give your money to the things that you care about? I care about I don't know, making pizza, and so I invest money into it. That's what we think, right? But anyone who's ever invested any kind of money or put a significant amount of money into something knows what this is talking about. If you've ever invested in like stocks or, or crypto or whatever, one day you don't know that a company exists at all. You're like, what is this random three-letter acronym? But then you put a few thousand dollars into that company and suddenly your life changes. You're waking up in the morning to read the stock prices. You're tracking the stories about lithium mining in Chile or something like that. And you're like, why? Because your treasure is there, and so your heart follows, and you just care about battery technology or whatever it is. It's, it's crazy, right? Because our hearts follow our treasure. But the cool thing is that as God's people, we have an opportunity to reverse engineer that effect. Isn't that cool that if we know that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, we can lead our hearts by sending our treasure in advance, so if we can control our treasure, we can redirect our hearts. And so don't wait until you care about something before you give money to it. You say, you know what, people say we should care about overseas gospel work, missionary work, but I don't really care, so I'm not going to give my money. Uh-uh-uh. Reverse engineer it. Send your money to overseas missions, and then your heart will follow. See how your heart changes. You'll say, hey, can I have the missions newsletter? Because I want to know what my money is doing. Send your treasure and your heart will follow. 
Who has trouble getting to church on time? Let's do a bit of confession time here together. All right, some of you, some of you are honest. Again, we can reverse engineer this. How do you solve the problem of not getting to church on time? It's not about daylight saving. It's not about alarm clocks, getting the children ready on time. It's about where your treasure is. There your heart will follow. So let me just try this out, okay? If you have trouble getting to church on time, donate a $5,000 projector to this church. Simple, right? You guys understand. Donate a $20,000 TV, the space up there, (laughs) and see how your heart changes. You think you won't get to church? It's not about alarm clocks where your treasure is. There your heart will be. You'll be rushing out the door like two hours before the hall unlocks. Make sure they unpack the TV properly to make sure that after service we use the proper cool down cycle. Press the power button twice. Because where your treasure is, there your heart follows. But because our hearts follow our treasure, there is also a danger in that everything that we buy demands a bit of our hearts. We make a little purchase and it kind of you know, cut off a bit of your heart and it goes there. And we have to manage it, we have to clean it, we have to repair it, replace it, service it. It takes a little bit of us. And so when we make our purchasing decisions, we need to think far beyond what's the dollar price, what, what's the price tag on the label. Instead of saying, how, much, how many dollars will it cost? We need to say, how much of me will this cost? How much of me will it cost? And so again, we're not being pharisaical. Don't, you're not allowed to buy a car over this price if you're a Christian. You're not allowed to live in a house in this suburb if you're a Christian. No, none of that. But ask yourself how a Christian sees that stuff differently to the world. Let's just say you, you do buy a house. Everyone wants to own property. You buy a house, but it loses value. But what if you're able to raise a family there? What if you're able to show hospitality, do ministry, be a blessing to this community, invite people over? Is that still a good investment in the kingdom of God? I would say yes. And we need to see our investments differently. It's good to be a wise investor. It's good to have a portfolio that increases, but use it to bless people and don't make that the bottom line of your life. And so, friends, remember that Christian discipleship calls us to die to ourselves. It causes, Jesus says, to pluck out the eye and cut off the hand that causes us to sin. And that can very well apply to our money. It calls people to leave their nets and follow him, to give up all that we have to gain the treasure hidden in the field. Remember, Jesus tells this parable, if a man finds treasure in a field, won't he sell everything and give up everything to buy that field? And so be careful that you don't do the opposite, that you give up the treasure to gain the field. How silly would that be? And if I'm not being practical enough, if I'm not doing enough numbers, I'll, do a, I'll try to be a bit more practical. Maybe try this. If you're not sure how to deal with these things, sit down tonight with your budget in front of you. And before you write down any numbers, you know, groceries, all that kind of stuff, write down your priorities. Write down what you want to care about that your budget currently doesn't show you care about. You know, I really want to be a Christian that cares about this church, that cares about overseas missions, that supports local missionaries and gospel workers. 
Write the priorities down first before you write down any numbers because we get it backwards a lot of the time. And then write down your numbers and see if your spending aligns with your priorities. I want to be a believer who cares about missions, but I spend $20,000 a month on holidays. Switch it up. And if your spending doesn't align with your priorities, figure out what you need to sacrifice to make room for what's important. Very often it will take sacrifice. What is an area in which you can live more simply in order to be more generous? I can't be, all right, once I've done everything I want to do, I've got a bit of spare change to leave. Switch it around. Or here's an idea. Uh, If there's something that you don't want to give up, start by blessing someone else with it. Right? You say, you know what? I make enough money to go out for fancy meals. I'm a foodie. I really like doing that. That's fine. If you don't want to give that up, treat someone else to it. Say, hey, I've got this poor Bible college student here. I've got this person who's in a disadvantaged situation. Treat them to a nice meal. Share the blessing with them. And all of this might reveal some idols that you might need to burn. There there are always things, there's always the next step, always the next thing to pay for. If you're holding off on giving, on being generous until after you've paid for the wedding, the car, the house, you're probably spending too much on those things. And so think about cutting down so you can be generous. If you have a family, this is a good practical tip, sit down and do this with your family, with your spouse, with your kids. Firstly, so you can model what it means to be godly with our finances. If your parents, what a blessing that it is for children to see their parents sit down and say, this is how we spend our money, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Firstly, do it to set a good example. Secondly, do it for accountability. Because they are great. Children are great for reminders and sort of not guilt-tripping you, but just sort of reminding you what you're supposed to do. And so if there are any high schoolers here, they should go to their parents and say, Mom, Dad, why don't we open the budget together and show me how our spending reflects what's important to our family. It'll change your life. And if your parents give you an allowance, get into the habit then of starting early to to give some away. John Wesley once said this about money. He says, money never stays with me. Money never stays with me. It would burn me if I did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into our heart. So if you've ever played the game hot potato, you know, it comes into your heart, you've got to get rid of it because it might burn you. And if you're not careful, it'll find its way into your heart. If you really want to know where your treasure is, I thought of this question that might be helpful to ask yourselves. If you want to know where your treasure is, ask yourself this. If Jesus returned today, how would you feel? Would you feel like you're losing all your stuff because he's taking it away? Or would it be your chance to finally be united with the investments that, you've been, that you made with your money? Now, if you feel like Jesus returning will take away your stuff, your treasure is probably in the wrong place. I want you to imagine that we're at Sydney Airport one day. You and I were just chilling out. And we're hanging out near one of those airport uh, cash exchange places. If I challenge you to a little game, I said, hey, let's play a game. Every person that comes by, you have to guess what their destination is, where they're going from Sydney Airport. Again, quiz time. What would you guys look at? 
Hey, right answer straight away. I, you know, some people said like, when I preach this at my church, like baggage tags and things, but there are like redirects of things, right? The best thing is what currency they're exchanging it for, not the color of their skin, not even the, the country on their passport. The currency they're exchanging it for, what they're converting their money into, because doesn't that indicate where you're going? And so Christian, I ask you, if there were to be a kind of heavenly money exchange and people saw what you were converting your money into, your Australian dollars, would they think, this person is going to heaven. They're investing into something beyond this life. In the verse we looked at earlier, Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth, but treasures in heaven. And this lesson that the parable of the dishonest manager taught us is that there is a way. It's like a, a, a heavenly currency exchange. There is a way to exchange our earthly treasures for heavenly rewards. That's crazy. That's amazing. You will never find a better exchange rate than that. Earthly treasure that will soon be worth nothing and fade into dust and rust into heavenly treasures and rewards. It is an infinitely generous exchange rate. And the way that we can make that exchange rate is through generosity, through investing in people, in gospel missions, in ministries. And, and trust me, Pastor Matt didn't ask me to come and he didn't say, oh, the budget's a bit down these days. We need this message, right? He, he's a bold enough man of God to tell you that himself. It's not about that, but it's about giving everyone an opportunity to get on board with God's mission to invest in a way that goes far beyond us. And so let me answer some of the most common questions people ask about this whole thing, like how much should I give? Um, how should I give? To whom should I give? What about why should we give? Isn't that a good one? Why should we give? Here's just one of the reasons. One of the reasons we should give is because giving is the best medicine for greed and materialism. I know we all struggle with greed and materialism. We all want just a little bit more. We all think, oh, what could I do if I had this much money? If we want to cure that, the solution is to give our money away. It sounds counterintuitive, but it works. If greed is the poison, then generosity is the antidote. Our lives, they just have this weird habit of just orbiting around the stuff that we own, the stuff that we buy. And like gravity, the more expensive it is, the, more, the, the stronger the pull is, and we just orbit around the stuff we own. And the way to break that is to reduce that. How much should we give? Uh, that's a complicated question, which could be a sermon in itself. But let me say a few things. We often talk about the word tithing, and the Old Testament law had this concept called tithing, which literally means, actually, let me test you out on this. Anyone? One-tenth, good man. It means one-tenth. And so the Israelites back in the Old Testament would bring one-tenth of all their stuff, all their crops and oil and wine and animals, and they would offer them to the Lord. They would give a tenth. It was mainly to support the Levites, because the Levites were like the professional ministry people. They were the professional worshippers. They didn't have time to farm and grow crops. And they were basically worship leaders. And there was a blessing promised to those who brought the tithe and a curse to those who didn't. If you bring the tithe to, to, in accordance with the law, you'll be blessed. If you don't bring the tithe, you'll be cursed. Now, I think we can make a couple of different mistakes here. Right? When we look at this concept of the tithe, the first mistake is to directly apply the Old Testament law 
to New Testament believers. There is not a clear continuity here because like crops and oil and animals are not the same as cash money. The temple and the Levites are not the same as the church and pastors. So we can't just say, oh, look, we're basically the Levites, so go and work and give money for people like me and Pastor Matt and the church. No, that's not a continuity. Also, probably the most important thing I want to say is that Jesus has already taken the curse of the law so that we can have the blessings of the law. And so this whole thing about if you bring the tithe into the church, you'll be blessed. If you don't bring it, you'll be cursed. That's heresy. That's the prosperity gospel. Also, if you really want to be strict about this and you calculate out the tithes of the oil and grain and animals and stuff, the tithe was probably something like 20 to 23%. And so if you really want to be strict on the tithe, set an example, bring 20 to 23%. So just personally, again, this is not a, a sin issue, but I prefer not to use the terminology of tithing just because it's a bit misleading. Uh, and... I don't think pastors should be so quick to jump to their favorite verses in Haggai and Malachi. To, have you guys ever been through this? Not at this church, but to guilt trip people into contributing to the church building fund. Right, bring the full tent into the storehouse. Test me this way. Is it a time for you yourselves to be in your paneled houses while the, house, while the house lies in ruins? That was referring to the Old Testament temple. And so can we come to church and be like, guys, we need a new TV. You guys are living in nice suburbs out in the city. <laughs> no, you can't do that. I've even heard one guy say people need to go back and figure out how long they haven't been tithing and calculate how much of a back tithe they owe to the church and they are under the curse of God until they pay that back. Friends, that is disgusting. That is heresy. It's literally bringing people back under the curse of Old Testament law that Jesus rescued us from. So don't let anyone lie to you like that. And so that's the first mistake, to directly apply the Old Testament tithe to New Testament believers. The second mistake, though, is to say the complete opposite and to say, you know what? Jesus did away with all that stuff. We're in the new covenant now, so I'm not given a stinking cent. We're free from that stuff. Because think about this, even though Jesus set us free from the law, if you really read carefully the new covenant, it always raises the bar of what's expected of believers. It intensifies the Old Testament law. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law says, do not commit adultery. What does Jesus say? Do not even look at a woman lustfully. The law says, do not murder. Anyone can do that. But, the, but Jesus says, do not even hate your brother. And so where the old covenant required a tithe by law, I think the new covenant challenges us to give more by grace. And so let's look at a couple of New Testament passages about offerings. The first is 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something in, and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Obviously, this refers to a specific context, but I think there's a principle to be applied here. It's not about percentages or amounts or people forcing you to give a certain amount, but in accordance with how much you've been given, think about it. As an act of worship, say, how much should I give to the Lord? And so there are principles here of being intentional. There are principles here of setting it aside. I think it's a good thing to do as soon as you get paid. 
Right? Again, we're not talking percentages, lines, you have to do this, but think, God has given me this. How much can I be blessed to give and be generous with? And it reminds us, if we make money, that it's not all for us. It's not all our stuff to keep. Next, there is 2 Corinthians 9, chapter six to se- verses 6 to 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that's incredibly freeing, isn't it? But it's also incredibly challenging because you have to ask yourself, what amount could you give that would make you cheerful? To give it. How much would you be cheerful to give? For some people, you'll be cheerful to give, let's say it's 10% based on the tithe. And you say, look, we'll still have more than enough to live on. But I think maybe 10% can be a helpful guideline. You can say, look, it's enough that I feel it, but it's not enough that I'll starve. Like, how many people, if you gave up 10% of your income, would be out on the street and hungry? Probably no one, right? So maybe use it as a guideline, but not under the curse of the law. And when you're deciding how much would make you a cheerful giver, this is where it's challenging because it calls us to check our hearts. Ask yourself, how much would make me cheerful to give? Because if that amount is 0%, I would be most cheerful if I gave 0%, you probably have an idolatry problem. And so it challenges us. It sets us free by grace, but it challenges us to worship as much as you can with your money. And so give generously, give freely, give cheerfully, not because I pressured you or because the church needs money for a building, but don't think of it in terms of duty and obligation, but think of it as a blessing, the blessing to give, the blessing to serve, the blessing of supporting the proclamation of the gospel, the work of the church here, the blessing that it develops your character and makes you less materialistic, It keeps your focus, and it brings you treasures in heaven. And I think this is something to keep working on as a spiritual discipline for each of us. It's something to keep trying to improve. Don't just kind of set this amount or this line, but kind of revise it. Say, I want to grow in my discipleship in this way. Just like we should all aspire to pray more, read the Bible more, I think we should aspire to give more because we are incredibly rich here in Australia. And, so, and for most of you, the longer you work, you're, you're probably in some kind of career. For most of you, the longer you work, the more money you'll make, right? But I challenge you, try to set an amount in your life that you are happy to live on and say, this is enough for me. This is enough. And the rest I can give away. So that when you make more money in your life, it doesn't just raise your standard of living, but it raises your standard of giving. What a blessing that would be to yourselves, but also to the people around you. Of course, there is wisdom in saving. There's, invest, uh, there's wisdom in investing your money. I'm not saying, like, be a burden to the people around you. But it's not all for us. God just doesn't just give us more so that we can build a bigger pile behind ourselves, but to bless others, to worship him, to declare his goodness. And so that's how much to give. Wrapping up soon, what about where to give or to whom should we give? Again, this is just a guideline, but I think it's good to start sort of from the inside and work our way out. Those who are closest to us, especially in our spiritual family. And so make the first priority the work of the gospel. I think you should really do that. If you're a believer, if you think that the gospel has the power to save eternally, put that first. 
So start here with your local church and then give to overseas missions, give to local missionaries, and then give to other important things like feeding children, like medical charities, like cures for diseases, and then things like, you know, save the rainforest, save the whales, all that kind of stuff. It's good, but get priorities straight. And friends, let me tell you the most important reason we should give and we should be generous. It's not even to gain things for ourselves. It's not because someone told you to from the front, but because our God is generous. He sets the example. He is the ultimate good giver, isn't he? The cheerful giver. He loves the cheerful giver because he is the cheerful giver. We give because he first gave us freely his greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, his son. And so if that is our example, how can we not give abundantly, generously, freely, cheerfully? And God didn't just give to those who worshipped him and who loved him. He gave to his enemies. We were undeserving and yet he took on our debt and he gave us his riches. He gave us his greatest treasure that we can never pay him back. So Christ is our example of how to give. If you, wanna, if you don't remember any other message from what I said today, how should I give, how much should I give, look to Christ and you will know what to do. The more you look to him, the more you become like him, and the more you can give like him. And the way we spend our money is a chance to not only spread the gospel to people, but to reflect his goodness. How much of a testimony is it to a world that is obsessed with money and figures when we say, that's not important to me. Christ is important to me. Other people are important to me. To show the people around us how much more satisfying God is than earthly riches. And so don't just tell people that Christ is the greatest treasure. Demonstrate it by putting him above your earthly treasure. And when I say these things, the call is not to, from a desperate God who says, please can I have 10% or some of your stuff. But it's a God who invites us to go beyond our little world and small ambitions to join in on his cosmic, eternal mission to redeem and restore the world. Why would you not get involved for the sake of building your little kingdom and your little mountain behind you. Let's join him on this and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible generosity to us. We thank you most of all that you gave your greatest treasure, your son Jesus, to die for our sins so that we might be saved even while we were still your enemies. May we be more like you. Help us to be more like Christ, the ultimate cheerful giver, the ultimate generous one. And help us that we might truly find our treasure in him. It's hard for us, Lord. We are idolatrous by nature. We are materialistic and we are greedy. And we need you to rescue us from this. And so I pray for each of my friends here, especially as they start making money, as they make these decisions, that they would seek to worship you as much as possible with their finances. That they would give generously, cheerfully, radically to your body, to the work of the gospel. And may they experience the wonderful blessing, the wonderful freedom of that, not under compulsion, but out of joy. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.